If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Will you pray with me? Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth, Psalm 100 urges. We've been told it doesn't matter if we can't carry a tune in a bucket, holy one, because joyful is the operative word. Joyful meaning cheerful, celebratory, in good spirits, glad. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. But we're in the middle, or really just the beginning, of a pandemic. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. But we're still not absolutely sure that we're getting out of this transition between presidential administrations without more cruelty and costly shenanigans. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. But many of us are worried we're going to lose our health insurance, and we only just got it. And yet, we know that the psalmist wrote this when not everything was bright and shiny in their world. That the psalmist knew exile, separation, grief, and loss. And just a few chapters later, the psalmist confesses, my heart is stricken and withered like grass. Even still, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Perhaps this is better explained by Lucille Clifton, the poet born in Babylon, both non-white and woman, who extended the invitation, come, celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. It turns out joy is indeed an act of resistance, as the saying goes. And of course, we, we remember that nowhere does it say joy and sorrow cannot coexist, that we have to choose either joy or sorrow, that one cancels out the other. That is not how it works. So make a joyful noise. Don't get the grandparents started on how proud they are of the grandkids. Oops, too late. Make a joyful noise. Check out those autumn leaves. After the ice storm, they really started showing out. Beauty in the midst of pain. Make a joyful noise. We keep waking up with the chance to make a change, forge a new path, become a truer version of ourselves. It just 
keeps happening morning after morning after morning. So help us to clear our throats, Holy One. We've got some singing to do. Amen. The sermon this morning comes from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, and for this reason I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is immeasurable greatness of his power for, the, for us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. As I mentioned earlier, next Sunday begins the season of Advent, which makes this Sunday a sort of New Year's Eve of the church as the last Sunday of the liturgical calendar. This day is traditionally called Reign of Christ Sunday, which sounds very official and serious, but also like a little cringy for reasons we can't quite put our finger on, but has something to do with the phrase conjuring the image of Jesus as a white-robed, star-crowned, giant, sword-wheeling G.I. Joe figure. Reign of Christ Sunday. It would be easy to just look right past it to Thanksgiving or even to Advent. And besides, words like king, kingdom, and kingship, writes Reverend Kate Matthew, may sound far away in both time and place from the democratic societies in which many of us live today. Perhaps they sound patriarchal or even sexist and classist and uncomfortably reminiscent of a time when the church was closely allied to the secular powers of the world, entwined with systems that produced horrors like slavery, violence fueled by anti-Semitism, and the execution of heretics and of women who were perceived to be witches. Now, to be fair, in many ways, that description remains all too fitting. But semantics and associations aside, Reign of Christ Sunday gives us the opportunity to look back to see if indeed we are living in a way that makes it clear that we are following the brown-skinned anti-war socialist who gave away free health care as a matter of faith. It is a chance to review whether or not we are more loyal to partisanship or ideologies or creeds and dogma than we are to Jesus. Is our allegiance obvious? Have we made it plain that we are people 
ever working to bring ourselves and the whole world closer to God's justice and peace. That opening line of the scripture, I have heard of your faith. It's a pastor's dream, right? To be able to write to one's congregation and say, I've heard about your faith. Word is spreading. People are talking. The congregation has a reputation. Oh, that is something. The church was doing the work in Ephesus. People were showing up. I have heard of your faith. If today is the New Year's Eve of the liturgical year, then we might use this text and the theme for the day as an opportunity to reflect on what people have heard about this church's faith over the last year as we get ready to move forward. Back in May, y'all celebrated big when I could finally add the title doctor to my name. And because no good deed goes unpunished, this sermon includes some of my final project. At some point, I'll do a full presentation that includes the findings from the research I did and what we can do in response to those findings, but I'll let you opt into that nerd fest. This is all to say that I've spent the last three years officially studying, researching, and systematically thinking about how that phrase, I have heard of your faith, applies to this congregation as part of my doctoral degree. This line from Ephesians, I have heard of your faith, is 9.999 times out of 10, the paraphrased response when I ask people, why Mayflower? Unsurprisingly, that one sentence was not sufficient to meet doctoral degree requirements, so I had to do a bit more digging. It, it turns out that why people show up to this church isn't a mystery, nor is it rocket science. It's social science that is directly connected to our faith. The theory of the age of authenticity, which according to philosopher Charles Taylor, proposes that people are increasingly associating only with those organizations with which they share values. Curating one's life is possible now more than ever, most easily seen in the proliferation of consumer marketing, in which the customer is encouraged more and more to express her taste, furnishing her space according to her own needs and affinities, as only the rich had been able to do in previous eras. The increasing ability to curate one's life includes the decision of whether or not to associate with a faith community, for religious affiliation is no longer a given. Secularity, Taylor says, consists, among other things, of a move from a society where belief in God is unchallenged and indeed unproblematic, to one in which it is understood to be one option among others, and frequently not the easiest to embrace. It is now more acceptable, mainstream even, for a person's life and community to not be centered around God or organized religion if it is not authentic to the individual. People only opt into religion when the faith practices of the church align with that person's values. Where those values come from might surprise you, Generally speaking, parents, guardians, and caregivers, we would like to think that as children become adults, they will choose the tradition of faith or of no faith in which they were raised. 
Some might even cite Proverbs 22, verse 6 for reassurance. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. But what may come as a surprise is the influence of politics and partisanship on religious choices. It's a surprise because matters of faith are often considered weighty, assumed to be tied to deeply held convictions and even deal with the eternal, while partisanship, on the other hand, can more easily be dismissed as nothing more than a response given on a survey or a forced choice when registering to vote. Religion is often thought of as deeply held beliefs and politics is just how one casts their ballot. Thus, we assume that religion dictates a person's political values, not the other way around, right? Studies show that religious identity is not quite as firm as had been previously thought, and partisan identity may actually be stronger and more impactful than typically given credit, as explained by a life cycle theory of religion and politics, which scholar Michelle Margolis explains as the distinct timings of the religious and political socialization processes that create a window during which partisanship can influence decisions related to religion. Partisan identities typically crystallize in adolescence and early adulthood, which is the very time when many people have distanced themselves from religion. And then as young people reach adulthood, think 25, 26, 27, they must decide whether or not and how to be involved in a religious community. At this juncture, partisan and political identity, which has already solidified for many, can shape religious attachments or who shows up for church. In other words, because political commitments take root earlier than religious commitments, in this age of authenticity, people are likely to associate only with churches that share their political values. As it turns out, people do not choose this congregation because of what our What We Believe page says on our website, because we don't have one, but because of how well we do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. These theories, the age of authenticity and life cycle theory of religion and politics, are part of explaining why this congregation experiences notable increases in attendance and membership following election cycles, protest marches, planned parenthood volunteer trainings hosted in our fellowship hall, or when Mayflower's clergy speak publicly on behalf of immigration justice, marriage equality, or reproductive choice. People are drawn to this beloved community because they've been volunteering with us at the Homeless Alliance, or we're advocating at the Capitol for fully funded public education, or delivering meals on wheels made in our church kitchen. The reason people opt in to this congregation is because they have indeed heard of your faith by witnessing that faith outside of these sanctuary walls. The kind that believes that black lives matter, knows that women's rights are human rights, insists that no human is illegal, proclaims that science is real, and declares that love is love. These commitments are rooted in progressive Christian theology, which provides grounding 
when working for peace and justice gets hard or inconvenient and we might otherwise stop. This is the part where I'd like to return to the spirit of the text from Ephesians and get specific about the ways people have heard of your faith this year. It is our tradition to end our annual meeting with a blessing, so this will be a repeat for some of you, but I'd rather do more blessing than less. Blessing is our catch-all word for thanking and praising. And beyond acting as a general, general irritant, one of the pastor's most important jobs is thanking and praising. But make no mistake, this blessing is possible only because people have heard of your faith. So Mayflower Church, bless you for being Mayflower Church, Jesus-loving, social justice-practicing, status quo-disrupting, joyful heretics for the sake of the gospel, Bless you for being the kind of church where atheists sit next to Trinitarians, who sit next to agnostics, who sit next to Unitarians, who sit next to biblical literists, who sit next to recovering, fill in the blank. Bless you for welcoming all kinds of kinds. Bless you, Mayflower, for being the kind of church that doesn't shrink when the going gets tough, but instead expands, gets more generous, and takes everything as a chance to really show up for each other and the community. It barely took an hour after we announced the decision to stop in-person worship for several of you to message me asking how we could organize drivers, errand runners, grocery shoppers, and drop-off deliverers. And then you did it. The pastor didn't have to do it. The staff didn't have to do it. You did it because that is what we mean when we say, be the church. This is why our family expanded by 24 souls during a year when we will have gathered in person just 10 times. This is what it means to say that church isn't a series of meetings, but a movement of the spirit. We've been joined in worship by people in every state and Washington, D.C., and in countries across the world from Australia to Germany to India, South Africa, Brazil, and the United Kingdom. It turns out there are heretics everywhere. Bless you, Mayflower, for keeping the main hallway cluttered. It is borderline hoarder-ish. It's been an absolute mess most of the time. Bins lining the entire length of the hallway, filled with donations that range from jeans to socks, to shoes, to soap and shampoo, to t-shirts, to knit hats and gloves, to school supplies. It takes hours to sort everything and car, a carpool to get it all down to the Homeless Alliance. We could be more worried about tidying up but to adapt a line from Albert Einstein, a cluttered church hallway is a sign of a church that is actually being the church. Bless you. Bless you, Mayflower, for not letting a week go by without an encouraging word about the work and ministry of Team Mayflower. Clint, Rick, Janet, Joanna, and Stephen made the transition from church as we've always done it to Church in a pandemic appear seamless, but you could see the heart and sweat that went into redirecting, pivoting, and keeping us connected. 
you gave us everything we needed to take risks and make the necessary shifts. Bless you. Bless you, Mayflower, for your financial faithfulness. You've seen the Benevolence Board report. You know what Meals on Wheels does every Saturday. You've seen the 363 report. Tens of thousands of dollars and an equal amount of love given to our community. The Homeless Alliance repeatedly reminds us that we are their go-to congregation. And to that, I'd like to note that many of you sent money to the Pastor's Discretionary Fund, which we use for folks who walk up to the church door or call the office for assistance. Sometimes they need a tank of gas or a meal, but other times they need much more. And you gave almost $9,000 to that fund in particular, which prevented foreclosure, eviction, and having to choose between food, medicine, and clothes for the kids for many, many families. Your generosity empowers this pastor to say yes so much more than I have to say no. Bless you, Mayflower. Bless you, Mayflower, for being the kind of place about which is said we didn't even know this kind of church existed. And by that they mean a church of action, of head and heart, of gospel politics, of generous theology, serious about civil rights and making sure everyone has what they need, a place where indeed no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. So here's to another year of people hearing about your faith. Here's to another year of figuring out where we need to show up, of being a soft place to land, of comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable, ourselves included. The thing about reputations is that they can be lost by overt action, but also by complacency. And as we begin the new church year, we have a pretty clear idea of the challenges ahead. And at the same time, we know that we don't know what we don't know. So to echo the words of today's scripture, I pray that we are given a spirit of wisdom and revelation and a heart enlightened, that we might continue to be rightfully accused of following Jesus. I have heard of your faith. Let's be sure to keep giving them something to talk about, church. Bless you. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.